to the Melius Performance Podcast. Today we're doing an audio abstract, but we also are going to have a video. So if you scroll down to the end of the podcast and you look into the show notes, you will be able to find a little link there to uh, the video where we put up on YouTube as well. Okay, today we're going to look at a paper that was uh, recommended to me um, by Rob Pacey at the Pacey Performance Podcast, a great podcast there on sport if you want to check it out. And it's called the Evaluation of Commercial Sleep Technologies for Objective Monitoring During Routine Sleeping Conditions. Now, obviously, sleep technologies get a lot of airplay these days, which is the best, which is the worst, which should I buy, what does what, and uh, no surprise, it's uh, still a bit of a mess. What's really interesting about this paper is like other papers is that when we start looking at the scientific validation of these devices, what they claim they can do with accuracy and what they actually do is two different things. And we'll get into a little bit of that here in this paper. Now this paper is very in depth. Um, I am just gonna touch on some of the, the, the major points in the paper. Um, there may be some things I miss and I'm not gonna be able to get it all in here in one go because it's quite a large paper. So this paper was done by uh, J.D. Stone um, from the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute in West Virginia. I don't know J.D., but uh, J.D., if you're listening, uh, this is an excellent paper. Uh, well done. And um, yeah, I think this should, uh, should uh, get a lot of airplay, this paper. It's quite interesting. So obviously uh, in the paper here, if we look at the introduction, J.D. talks about the background with... Um, a number of these things around sleep, you know, we spend such so such so much of our time asleep, and um, we need you know, a third of our life is, is spent asleep. We need adequate sleep. Uh, he talks about the third-party validations, and many different devices coming um, on the market at the moment. In this discussion as well, JD also and the co-authors also speak about this kind of hierarchy of um, of sleep devices. So kind of at the top of the of this uh, pyramid, so to speak, or the gold standard would be polysomnography, which we spoke about on before in the podcast, which is the gold standard. And quite rightly, the authors here discussed that PSG, it provides an in-depth you know, analysis of your sleep overnight for light sleep or stages one and two, deep sleep stages three, and then also REM sleep, and then can pick up sleep disorders, um, you know, in addition to those, to the sleep staging as well. But it's time consuming, it's costly, and then once you get the data, it takes a lot of time to score the data, then it has to be reviewed and so on and so on. So it kind of gets a bit difficult to do PSG. And I can tell you that if you want to use PSG every single night, it's not gonna happen due to those limitations, but also it takes about an hour to set up on somebody. And it's very difficult to sleep um, with PSG on. Some people sleep no problem, but other people have a, have a hard time actually sleeping with um, PSG on them. So the authors discussed then sort of the hierarchy of PSG, like I said, then down into their wearable technologies, um, like the sleep profiler, which they will um, they use in this study, then the wearable devices with the biofeedback, and then right down to the kind of sleep diaries and sleep assessments that people use as well. And so the kind of say in the paper here, somewhere in this middle ground with these wearable devices is a good in between. And when we start talking about different types of studies, longitudinal studies, or we're looking at circadian rhythm issues, sleep work, uh, sorry, shift work, shift work disorder, and um, we want long me long-term measures of sleep from athletes, or even just as a consumer, 
we don't want to go into a laboratory every single night. So what's this kind of middle ground that we can use um, as we go along? So you can see here in the introduction, really talk about some of these things here. Obviously, I'm giving a very quick summary of a, a very diverse wearable market, new wearables coming on and uh, on the market rapidly and making claims of uh, what they can and can't do. So they say here just at the end of the introduction as well, um, you know, kind of classically you would uh, compare a wearable device against polysomnography, the in-laboratory gold standard. However, they've made a, an argument here that the sleep profiler, which has been validated already against PSG, is a good way to, or a good marker to use at home when people are, are you know, wearing these other devices against the sleep profiler. So you can kind of think about the sleep profiler as being the, the reference point. And the sleep profiler is this device here from Advanced Brain Monitoring. So um, that's Dan Lewandowski and those guys in California. A little device like this goes on the head and it's used for sleep staging because it has EEG capability, which is used for sleep staging, which we'll talk a little bit about in this paper as well. Um, so to talk about a little bit here about inclusion and exclusion criteria for the study as we go down into the materials and methods, and then we get into the subjects as well. Now, this is probably my biggest criticism of this paper is that there's only five people in it. So it's very, very low numbers. Now, I granted that there's lots of nights in the study. There's 98 nights in total of data, but there's very low numbers. You've got two men and three females in it, and um, the females all in their 20s and the males, you know, 41 to 26. So that is my um, concern with the low numbers in here, but lots of nights of data and lots of devices being used, which is a positive. Um, as I said, using the sleep profiler as the kind of the reference point, because it has been validated against uh, the gold standard and there's some papers there to reference that. And it's also kind of uh, approved by the FDA as well to be used um, in this situation. Now, in terms of comparison, there is lots of um, there is lots of devices being compared here. So, if we look here, we've got the sleep profiler, and then people are going to wear lots of different devices. So this is a, this is this is a lot of stuff on them. You got the Apple Watch, the bedded sleep monitor, which goes on the mattress or under the mattress. I think Apple bought that recently, if I'm not mistaken. The Fatigue Science Ready Band, which I've spoken about before. I've used a lot of my research and in consulting and um, performance-related variables. The Fitbit, the Garmin, the Aura Ring, and the Polar and the Whoop. Now, you may have heard Joe Rogan talk about the Whoop on his podcast or other people as well. You may have seen that the UFC have signed a, a deal with the Aura Ring recently. Garmin is big in the outdoor community. Fitbit, obviously, great marketing. Fatigue Science have been using elite athletes. I think the bet it was used a lot in the NBA a couple of years ago, and then the Apple Watch as well. Okay. So lots of devices being used here. And they go through those devices here on the paper as well, so the commercial sleep devices. So the experimental design, um, obviously they are looking at the measures of sleep quantity and quality. Um, people were asked to you know, wear these at home for as many nights as they could nearly tolerate really. So in total, 98 sleep nights um, were included, which is, which is a fair few for, um, for a, a low number of people. 
So to put all the devices on approximately 30 minutes before getting into bed and the sleep profiler was put on as well, and, but not basically turned on until they went to bed. So all these devices have like different battery power and battery length and turn them on at different times. So basically once they get into bed, then they could kind of go alive and, and turn everything on, you know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't passively um, assessing movement already, which is the case with, the, with a lot of the wearables on the wrist. Yeah. Now, some of the data had to um, be analyzed with third-party apps. So you will see that the Apple Watch has a third-party app that analyzes, um, analyzes the metrics out there. So when we look at this table here, and there's lots of tables in this paper, like I said, it's a really in-depth paper. We look at the Bedit, Fatigue Science, ReadyBand, the Fitbit, the Garmin, the Aura, the Polar, and um, this sleep plus and the sleep watch, these are actually measuring the sleep that's coming out of the Apple watch. Cause I don't believe the Apple watch says it actually measures sleep. And then the whoop, we have TST total sleep time. And um, you see that from the footnotes here, abbreviations, total wake time, which is also called WASO as well. In other papers, wake after sleep onset. And um, we have sleep efficiency light time or light sleep this is stages one and two deep sleep or deep time it's in here and then REM as well so this is basically saying does it or does it not assess these and so you can see there's a difference between all these devices some do and some don't so yeah so statistical analysis then as well to discuss here that um, a number of um, analysis is used this is very heavy on analysis this paper it's really in-depth um, so they have this, um, I don't know if AIP is the right, or APE, absolute percentage error, which is the device measurement minus the sleep profiler measurement divided by the sleep profiler measure multiplied by 100. So if that was sleep duration, that could be 360 minutes minus the sleep profiler sleep duration, 400 minutes divided by the 400 minutes multiplied by 100. That's my understanding of that measure. I haven't used it personally, and uh, I'm not a statistician, so I'm probably going to get some things maybe slightly wrong here. So make sure you read through this if you are a stats-oriented person. Um, another one here, which, the, which I'm familiar with, is the plant almond plots. This is looking at agreement. So you look at maybe a measure like sleep duration again, or total sleep time, how that compares against the sleep profiler as a baseline as well. And that's going to be looking at bias and so on, which we'll look at in a second. So what they defined, um, so using, um, the OR packaging for stats, which is becoming more and more popular these days, open source statistical packaging. I just haven't got the time or patience to learn OR. <laughs> so we look at this for total sleep time, total wake time and sleep efficiency. We look at the number of nights here, which is the N. This is that um, absolute percentage error. And so you can see, basically, these are the ones that do pretty good at the top with the lowest percentage absolute error right down to the ones who do the worst. So reading this one as an example, the Aura for total sleep time is doing pretty well here. The Whoop, then the Fitbit, Fatigue Science, and so on and so on. The Min and the Max, um, and the interquartile range as well. So you got total sleep time, total work time, and sleep efficiency. So you're basically pivoting here um, by the uh, percent, absolute percentage error. So you can tell here from these ascending values, obviously you can pivot this whichever way I wanted it by the nights, whatever it might be, but they've done it here by the absolute percentage error. 
So total sleep time, time awake overnight and sleep efficiency. Sleep efficiency is a quality measure for the entire, the ent all the entire sleep variables more or less, which is, um, is a kind of a, a measure that's reported widely in the, widely in the sleep literature. You also see here with some of the data coming out with the uh, from the um, plant almond plots, total save time, total wake time, and sleep efficiency. This is the kind of numbers in here with the limits of agreement. Sorry, I'll move over to the left. We got the number of nights, the bias. So this would be proportional or systematic bias. I think in this paper it's proportional biases to have. Adjusted p-values, lower limits of agreement, 95%. Confidence interval, upper limits of agreement, 95%, and limits of agreement range. Now, this will make sense when we look at some of the graphs in a second. So, again, you've got a by device against the sleep measure told sleep time or sleep duration. You've got the beta, the aura, the whoop, and so on, right down to the Garmin. So, you would say here that the, the beta is pretty, you know, it's got, um, I think it's pivoted here by the bias. Actually, sure, there. Anyway. So if you want to look at it in a box plot way, you have it here by device comparison. So these are the outliers. These box and whisker plots will show you the mean or the median, 95 percentile, 95 percentile. Some of the outliers here, this is for the absolute percentage error. This eight measure we were saying a minute ago, APE. And then with the sleep watch being the most variable out here. So remember now the sleep watch and the sleep plus plus is the Apple watch. So the ones down here, with the less variation are better in terms of total sleep time in terms of percentage error when compared against the sleep profiler. I did say there was lots of data in this one. Yeah, so it's gonna be slightly different in that table. These are the Blant Altman plots that we're speaking about a second ago. So this is difference in hours. So if we look at, um, let's say the Garmin here is probably the most pronounced one here on this one. So this being the difference compared to the sleep profiler. So the Garmin watch, this is the limit of agreement up here, the lower, the, the min and the max. Each dot here represents a night of data. This red dotted line, like this up here is proportional bias trend line. So it's kind of like you see all the data is all scattered all around the place. And so on average here, the difference is overestimating total sleep time by roughly about an hour, I would say. Here's like about maybe 30 minutes for the better. Fatigue science is the same, Fitbit a bit less. It's hard to tell by looking here. We just make a kind of a guesstimation based upon the scales because they're all like minus two to four. So you can see basically the mean of device and profiler standard hours. So you're looking at the difference here between them. And this red line here, proportional bias. So you can see it here. So lots of difference here, difference there. Fitbit looking pretty good or looking pretty good as well. What you want to see is basically these lines being really small, the variation between them. So if you look at that line and that line, 
it's pretty narrow compared to the Garmin, which is out here. So you've got lots of scattered in the data. You want all that data nice and tight, and you want that data to be basically nearly uniformly along that blue line if possible. So that's what you're looking for in terms of uh, you know, good agreement with the total sleep time. You can see this again when we look at total wake time here. This is the wake after sleep onset measure as well. Lots of variation. Now you might look at this and think, wow, that's, that's a heap of variation there. You got people out here, the absolute percentage error, big, huge variation. These devices are pretty bad at measuring wake after sleep onset or total wake time. So across the board, this is not really unusual. They're hard at picking up times of wake overnight with any degree of accuracy. And then if you look at it here with sleep efficiency, you see a lot of variation here as well. Now that sleep efficiency measure is gonna be um, affected by the wake after sleep onset. So it's not surprising we see a lot of variation here as well. But again, you see the Fitbit's doing pretty well. The Aura's doing pretty well. And again, you've got this 95 percentile where the data's falling these box and whisker plots. So again, you wanna see them kind of really squashed down being really small. You don't want to see a lot of variation compared to the sleep profiler. Now, the other one that people talk about a lot of times is the sleep staging. So how good are these devices at actually assessing sleep in terms of sleep staging, like stage one, stage two, stage three, deep sleep, and then REM sleep? And we know that the gold standard is basically PSG or using measures of EEG on the head, EMG on the chin and so on, um, which we've spoken about before. But in lieu of that, these devices say they can, they can do that based upon the movement or heart rate variability, whatever it is. And we find here that basically, you know, none of these devices are really actually that good. The WHOOP device here for light sleep stages one and two shows some promise here with a lower you know, um, absolute percentage error, but really there's a massive variation here. So you see up to 40% here. So very, very high. Again, with deep sleep here, massive variation here again, and the same with, with REM sleep as well. So, you know, it's really difficult for these devices to uh, to stage sleep. So I've said it before on other audio abstracts and, and in conversations or in consulting work or performance work, I will be taking the sleep staging measures of these devices with a bucket of salt, not a gram. And again, you can see that here in the box plots as well when we look at them by device. Again, light time, as I said, Whoop device looking pretty good in comparison to the Garmin. So if I was going to make a decision here about which was the better device for light sleep uh, accuracy, I would be looking at the Whoop as opposed to the Garmin. And again, with the deep sleep as well, we see the Garmin starting to improve slightly, but you know the Whoop slightly marginally better, but they're all kind of similarly bad against uh, the sleep profiler again here. And again, with the REM sleep, whoa, huge variation there for all devices. You know, Whoop a little bit better again here in the middle, but lots of variation here. So, you know, kind of a word of caution, um, you know, when you're using them. Now, the authors also say here in the, um, discussion, you know, that, you know, you want to see the, the probably down below 10% if possible for the absolute percentage error um, for non-stage and sleep metrics, you know, Fitbit and Aura reported lower value. So, you know, not bad overall um, for them, but not great either. 
high in accuracy in sleep stage and these technologies not surprising as measuring brain EEG is the most accurate way to assess sleep stage. So as I was discussing, um, none of the commercial devices tested to incorporate EEG based measures. So they actually don't have any application to the, to the head to measure brain activity. So it's really difficult for them to do that. And then um, based on the data presented, non-sleep staging data should be considered while using commercial non-EG based sleep device. And even then great care and consideration um, should be taken when selecting a commercial device for, for these metrics. So basically like, you know, they're, they're pretty poor. And to be honest, if I use them in consulting research performance, I don't even, if people have them and want to use them, I don't even look at the sleep stage and I don't even, I don't even bother with them, you know? And sometimes it's interesting because if those measures are really wrong, <laughs> which they are, it can cause a lot of angst for the user as well. So if they think they're not getting enough deep sleep, for example, oh, I should be getting 20%, but this device is saying I'm only getting 10% or I'm getting too much deep sleep and I should be getting more REM. Well, if it's not accurate, you know, you're, you're just getting, you're getting poor data. So it's kind of a junk in, junk out. So you're making decisions based upon something that's not very good. You know, it'd be like looking at your bank balance and it's saying, mm, it could be in minus 40 grand or it could be plus 40 grand. And you're making decisions whether to buy a house or a car, you know, that's the degree of variability you have here. You see, if people don't like the science, you hit them with the money. Uh, device, device performance. Um, so as I said, you know, the, in this paper here, they found lots of uh, overestimations of total sleep time, you know, for example, and underestimations um, as well. So that's that proportional bias, that difference compared to the sleep profiler. Um, varying findings, uh, varying findings stem from remarkably few opportunities that exist for direct comparisons, which is due to a combination of upgrades and device models. So you might have different Fitbits or different sort of um, Garmin devices as well. So it can be difficult. Um, and as I say here, it's always good to see what future research to recommend. Should consider surveying various, various end users, clinicians, practitioners, general consumers to determine thresholds by which individuals deem a sleep device as being accurate or inaccurate. Yeah, that's an interesting one. But also as well, if something is really bad in a group, does that become the truth? And so you're always, you know, overestimating or underestimating. Uh, I run into a lot of groups who say, you know, we have, you know, XYZ device and we really like it because it's good at assessing sleep. And when you ask them how, how or why is it good at assessing sleep, they just go, yeah, because it gives us sleep. So there's an actual measure or a baseline. And so a lot of times these devices are based upon um, the user interface, how much do people like them based upon, you know, use and then also marketing as well, or teams might be having deals with them. So like I said, with the Aura Ring, UFC have signed a deal with them recently. So I presume they will be allowing athletes to have the Aura Ring um, or giving them out. So if it's kind of pushed upon, it may not be the best either. Um, so device considerations here, you know, the authors here discuss the cost of the devices, the challenges in the uh, agreement differences between devices as well when compared against the sleep profiler. Um, as movement patterns vary with different states of wakefulness, accelerometers are often utilized by sleep monitoring technologies. Of the device assessing the study, the Apple Watch, um, you know, lists all the devices here. We're all equipped with accelerometers. So this is basically what they're using to assess sleep and wake. They're using movement um, and it's, it's kind of on and off under make, have an algorithm, a proprietary algorithm that will determine then when someone's asleep 
or awake. And these are all called actigraph devices. Again, to speak about the brain activity with lack of it, it's very difficult to uh, make a, and respiration rates to make a, you know, a comparison here or a, an inference really on sleep stages or sleep disorders, any of those type of things as well. So it can be, can be quite difficult. Another aspect worthy of consideration in this present study surrounds the sleep data from the Apple Watch, which possesses substantial limitations and a potential for a great deal of variability. Apple does not advertise any of their watches as having sleep monitoring capabilities, thus it's left up to a third party. And this is why we had those two different measures coming out from the, uh, from the Apple Watch as well, so people can use those, those apps. Uh, limitations in future directions. Obviously, we said about you know very low numbers, but lots of nights, so that's quite good. Um, could have been done in a lab against PSG, but that would have been costly and difficult as well. Um, they also talk about, spoke about here, which is uh, participants all had light skin tones, thus the sample excluded relatively darker skin tones, which are often associated with higher rates from PPG technology that utilize the green LED. That's an interesting one. I had never heard that before. So that's one that um, should be considered maybe when using you know, um, a representative sample of a of a country or if we're in different areas um, you know, so that's, that's, yeah, that's quite interesting. That's a new one for me. Um, did I want here to say about new device models are released at different times for companies. So you might have different algorithms might be changed in the underlying algorithm or the accelerometry or the sampling rate um, of the accelerometer. So they will have a Hertz value um, so if it's 20 hertz, it means that they're sampling at 20 hertz per second. There will be different sampling rates with each of these devices. And obviously, um, they will feed into the algorithm then to determine sleep and wake patterns as well. So in conclusion, the ability to accurately monitor longitudinal trends in sleep through commercial sleep technologies presents a valuable opportunity. And that's what we said at the outset as well. You know, this is really where actigraphy or wearable devices can really help. It gives you that longitudinal data set and can be really good in terms of looking at um, over a big period of time, sleep habits, sleep behaviors, and even sleep problems. Because in some way, if it's wrong, we know we have a proportional um, bias there into that negative or positive uh, value that we're getting as well. So at least it's relative to the person. Uh, sleep stage and metrics are obviously difficult, as I said. Um, and I said that the, um, the Fitbit Icon wrist device and the Aura Smart Ring possess the lowest degree of error for these three metrics being total sleep time, total wake time, and sleep efficiency. So it may, you know, but based upon the mall, they're kind of pointing here that these two devices may look be, to be the two best out of the mall. With that said, they said the Whoop uh, performed similarly to the Fitbit and Aura with respect to total sleep time, although error for total wake time and sleep efficiency. So this is kind of the, the best of the rest or what's coming in third. Um, but look at the sleep efficiency was nearly doubled here. And it's maybe a function of this total wake time. Additionally, Whoop was the most accurate um, for light and deep sleep. Um, but the, the percentage error was still pretty high as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's going to depend on what your, uh, what your preference is, but you want to make something based upon science, what people use. But I think it's important that if you are selecting technologies that you do so knowing that there is a lot of limitations. And just because it's got fancy marketing, fancy packaging, or someone says it does something, doesn't always mean that it does actually do what it says. 
And this is kind of, I think, what they're saying here at the end. As such, the incorporation of devices that report report total sleep time, total wake time, and sleep efficiency may be feasible feasible if an end user is aware of or able to determine what their acceptable thresholds for might be. Unfortunately, which device is accurate enough is a question that remains. Although, you know, I did say there that some of those look better than others. And um, yeah, I think it's going to just depend on uh, what your, you know, like to say, magnitude of accuracy or lack of thereof justify the utilization of a particular commercial device. So it's a pretty big paper. Um, lots of references there as well. Um, over 60 references. This paper is freely available uh, via DovePress. The link is in the show notes here as well. So again, uh, great paper by JD Stone and friends there. I think you're supposed to say et al, but I think it's, and friends sounds better. I wish papers would say that. JD Stone and friends wrote this paper. Anyway, that paper is in the show notes. You can click on that link, read it yourself, download it, go through it, have a look. Uh, any comments are welcome. Um, yeah, let us know what you think if you have any comments on that paper. And until next time, see you then. Just another sunny day.